I only hope that we never lose sight of one thing, that it was all started by a mouse. Hello everyone out there in podcast land. This is the Beyond the Mouse podcast, the podcast for all things Disney for NPR Illinois Community Voices and the Front Row Network. I'm your host, Craig, and I'm joined today by my co-host, Brett Rutherford. Hello. And Vanessa Ferguson. Hello. We have a really exciting and, may I say, spooky interview here for you today. As we are preparing you for Halloween, we are talking to writer-director of the Tower of Terror film, DJ McHale. And I am so excited to get to speak to DJ today. He actually has guests and been interviewed before on our partner podcast, Are You Afraid of the Podcast, part of the Front Row Network. Jeremy talked to him all things Are You Afraid of the Dark, and now we get to talk to him all things Tower of Terror. Brett, are you excited about the interview? I'm very excited. It was so good to see the film again, and I have some questions, and I just can't wait. I'm excited. Now, Vanessa, you have yeah. a history with this attraction. Um, Tower of Terror or, you know, Guardians of the Galaxy Mission Breakout that it is now in California. You, you've got a bit of history there. Are you, are you feeling up for this interview? Are you uh, prepared mentally to speak to this man? I have taken all the Dramamine in order to have this interview. We I, I'm ready. back. <laughs> Mm-hmm. No, uh, I, do you are you up for this? Or are you down? Are you up? Are you down? Are you up? Are you down? <laughs> Sorry, I've taken it all. I have anti nausea, not because it won't be a great interview, but because I might have flashbacks to when I rode Tower of Terror and Mission, whatever it was of death. So there you go. I'm I'm prepared. Absolutely. That is great. And I want to get into the interview right away. But before we do, just a bit about DJ. DJ McHale is a writer, director, executive producer, and creator of several popular television series and movies. DJ broke into the entertainment business by writing several ABC after-school specials. After moving to Los Angeles, he made a full-time switch into informational films and then to entertainment as creator of the popular Nickelodeon series, Are You Afraid of the Dark? He produced all 91 episodes over eight years. He wrote and directed many of the episodes, including the Cable Ace nominated The Tale of Cutter's Treasure, starring Charles Dutton. The book series Pendragon, Journal of an Adventure Through Time and Space, marks DJ's turn into being a novelist. And here's our interview with DJ McHale. Hello, DJ. Hi, how are you guys doing? doing good. so great. Yeah, good. <laughs> Happy Halloween. And <laughs> talking to us about Tower of Terror today. So I have a question first, uh, and that is probably the question that is on most Disney fans' minds. You might not know the answer to this, and I, this might be a setup here, but we love this film. We, uh, I, particularly, this is the one that I go to first in the Halloween season when I'm thinking about getting in the mood for Disney Halloween and, and checking out uh, some kind of Halloween movie, but I can't find it on Disney+. Plus. Do you have any idea what is going on that is preventing it from being on Disney Plus at this moment? It, it's funny you ask that question. My daughter asked me the exact same question not that long ago. <laughs> My my true answer is, I have no idea. Um, my guest answer is, is that um, Tower of Terror was made for Wonderful World of Disney, uh, ABC Wonderful World of Disney. And I have not seen any of those movies that were made, not just Tower of Terror, any of those Wonderful World of Disney movies were made for ABC showing up 
anywhere else. So the answer may lie in there someplace is that, you know, it's not movie specific. I think it just seems like all of those movies just went away. (laughs) There's an audience for them big time. So if you hear us, please, Disney Plus. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's it's interesting. I didn't know if it was a licensing thing, but it's all under the same umbrella of ABC, Disney. So it's just, but you make a really good point. I I think when, even when I search Wonderful World of Disney on Disney Plus, the only thing that comes up is uh, they did the live, uh, Soto live Little Mermaid last year, and that comes up on Disney Plus. But outside of that, there's no other Wonderful Worlds of Disney. So that's a very good observation there. Thanks for that. And the and the best, actually, the best litmus test in my mind were back when I don't know how many years that reboot of Wonderful World of Disney existed, uh, but probably the biggest high profile, best watched movie that they did was a live action Cinderella with uh, Brandy and Whitney Houston. You would think if there was any movie that would be shown again, it would be that one. So, so well, I'd put yeah, Tower of Terror right up there with it. <laughs> so, <laughs> that's the, you have our next question. Yeah, I do. Well, um, I was a little nervous watching uh, Tower of Terror because I remembered how nervous I would get watching Are You Afraid of the Dark as a Kid? Because for the most part, you scared the bejesus out of me. Except I have to tell you this. One episode did not scare me. And I think it was something like um, The Hungry Hounds where like the the character goes into a trance to feed these dogs and I'm from the Midwest. So to scare my friends, I went in a trance to, and I was pretending to feed the cattle. And so is the most Midwestern interpretation I think of your story that could be like, so you could have a whole Midwestern country themed, you know, spinoff of like, there's a ghost y'all like (laughs) that's, that could happen and work here, I guess. But anyway, um, other than that, everything pretty much scared me. So um, I wasn't sure what to expect for the film, but you do a great job of using camera tricks and music to really build suspense without it being too scary. Um, so can you talk about your approach to making a scary film that isn't too scary for people like me? Well, that's funny. And that, and that goes back to Are You Afraid of the Dark? Because, because that's really kind of where I, I honed the craft, if you will. Um, and it's really the reason that I got Tower of Terror is because Disney saw that, oh, he gets that line between too scary and Scooby-Doo. <laughs> you know, it's, right. it's, it's, it treads that line. Um, it, it's, it's not, it's surprisingly not that hard. And, um, and I don't know why, believe me, I've pissed a lot of kids scary shows since then. And everyone's like, Oh, you can't do that. It's like, well, okay, I have. But it, it's all about tension. It's all about, and this applies to all horror movies, frankly. It's what's truly scary is what you think you might see, not what you see. So, oh boy, the best example of that, I think, comes to mind is the Blair Witch Project. If you saw that original Blair Witch, I mean, nothing ultimately happens in that movie. But the whole time, <laughs> yeah. you're... You're like, it's spoiler it's, alert. Sorry. <laughs> spoiler alert. Nothing happens except for the giant turtle at the end. Um, <laughs> it's a different movie. Um, yeah. it, it, it's so you could have a scene of someone walking down a corridor with the right creepy music and, and looking into doorways and looking and ultimately maybe they're not going to see anything. Maybe at the end there will be a payoff or something jumps out or whatnot. But so you're using that kind of 
Tension 101, you can translate that to a kid's show because the payoffs will never be as gruesome as they are in adult movies. So, so that's, that's kind of the general thing. And then just also put into the world of young people, the themes, the, 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 actually there are a lot of things in Tower of Terror. If you look too closely, you're like, Oh my God, that's, that's like, that's really demented, but you kind of go (laughs) past it. So if you stay away from truly demented themes and murder, you know, if you stay away from things like that, it's, it's not really that hard to create tension without, going over the line into, oh my God, what what have you done to my child? You've just warped them. Sure. Yeah. Brett, you have our next question. Well, as the writer and director of Tower of Terror on the wonderful world of Disney, which I still love anyway, it was really your baby. How did this project come to you or did you reach out to Disney? You kind of mentioned that. And what was your experience being part of this since the beginning? And how does it feel having... Uh, been responsible for such a treasured Disney classic attraction-based film? Uh, I, oh, well, I actually have a, a fun story that I, I, I could tell you that I'll, that I'll end this, this question with, or this answer with. Um, but the way it came about was um, I had just finished making Are You Afraid of the Dark for Nickelodeon. Um, a number of executives who had been at Nickelodeon went over to Disney. And they were essentially poaching talent <laughs> from just, and so I'm one of the people they poached and they said, would you like to come over and do a deal with us? And we've got this property that we'd like to see. We think you could do a good job with And So that's, that's kind of the short story of how I got it. Um, the, the fun thing about being part of it. Um, I actually met my wife making this movie. Oh, and, uh, this is someone who is now like, how do I characterize it? She, she is in various capacities. She has worked for Disney in a lot of capacities. Uh, she, she's worked in multiple television shows, Disney shows uh, like home improvement and uh, uh, whose lines it anyway. She actually worked for theme park productions for a while been making uh, movies sort of things. So she is steeped in Disney stuff. And like a lot of people, when they're steeped in anything, the magic isn't quite there as, as much as it might be I, I, when you're exposed to it daily. Mm-hmm. So the, the funny story is that when we're making Tower of Terror, uh, there were three of us working late one night on the Disney lot editing. Uh, it was myself. It was the editor, Barry. And it was my wife. That's how I met her. She ended up being the post-production supervisor. So it was late at night. Three of us finished work. Um, we're walking back to our cars and Barry and I, she went off and got in her car. I remember she was parked and Barry and I, the editor, were walking by ourselves through the Disney lot, you know, the storied Disney lot. And we turned a corner and I don't know if it's still there to this day, but at the end of this street on the lot, there was a couple of barn doors that are closed with a shimmering Disney logo. It's like the, the, the castle with, and it was literally the street lights hit it and it was all sparkly. And Barry and I both stopped and we both looked at this. We were just like, I no, we were both thinking, this is pretty cool. <laughs> I know because we talked about it afterwards. Yeah, we didn't say it. We were both like, uh, this is pretty cool. So the two of us just stood there and suddenly uh, and Scar pulls up next to us and the window rolls down. And my later to be wife looks out and says, Isn't it great to be part of the Disney magic? <laughs> 
totally busted the two. She was absolutely spot on in, in seeing these two schmoes like uh, <laughs> totally busted us. And that's so, Disney magic. Yeah. So in answer to your question, yeah, it was pretty cool to be part yeah, of it. Cool. <laughs> that's awesome. That is so perfect. Um, so you get to work on this movie and they are, it's really right at the, uh, this attraction is coming to life as you're writing and directing this film. And of course you got to shoot on location as well um, for some of it, but the, how closely did you get to work with the Imagineering side of things as opposed to just uh, in writing the the script and also directing the film? Were there changes to the attraction that would happen along the way that would impact the film, either the writing or the direction of it? Well, the attraction was definitely done. I mean, it was it was finished by the time I came on. I don't know when it opened, but it was it was done. only in Florida, not in Los Angeles. It was just right in Florida. Um, so, an early part of the process of you know, I had never ridden it. I, I did not know about Tower of Terror. Um, so, part of the early process was I got to meet the Imagineers who had designed and built Tower of Terror. And the the thing that I remember so much about that meeting was just how much pride they had in this ride and how much they loved this ride. And they showed me all the schematics and the blueprints and the idea and the fact that it was an Otis elevator. You you know, it's like, and the fact it doesn't actually drop, it's actually pulled. It's like on two pulleys that go up and down. So there, and, and, you know, they probably had finished with the project years before, a couple of years before, but still it was so much fun for them to relive it. So, so they downloaded to me anything they could about the origins of the ride, about the origins of the theme of the ride. And then basically it's like, then it was up to me to say, okay, go forth and do what you're going to do. So, so I, I, I did uh, one funny thing that did happen. One meeting we went to, at Disney Imagineering, which is in Glendale, um, which is a surprisingly not very imaginative place. It's, it's, I mean, the place <laughs> itself. I mean, it's just, it's like an office with, with cubby holes, you know, carols, you know. Yeah, you expect, office. you know, like this big spectacle or something like. A, yeah, you expect Disneyland. <laughs> yeah. It's an office. You go into one of those cubbies and suddenly the drawings and all that kind of cool stuff. Um, and I was waiting to go in uh, with Charles, who was the head of Disney Films, TV Films at that time. And we had to sign all sorts of non-disclosure things because this is where, you know, magic happens, literally. And, uh, and he had this comment and he said, all these people, these are who pay our checks. <laughs> they are the Imagineers. They're the ones that come up with all the cool stuff. Yeah. And and it was fun walking by the cubicles and, and looking at one of the things I, I did see, and I think it's okay to say this because it didn't happen. Um, but back then, one thing they were developing was um, the Pirates of the Caribbean movie, but as an animated movie. Mm. So I oh, oh. saw all these drawings of the various characters but in animated form. And they looked very much in the style of, if you've been at Pirates of the Caribbean um, in Disneyland, those pirates that are inside, you know, drawings inside in the queue there, it was kind of based on those. Um, so back in 1997, when we made this, Pirates of the Caribbean was being considered as an animated movie. Oh. At some point they made a choice to 
go with Johnny Depp I, and make billions of dollars. I yeah. suppose it was a good choice. I don't know. Jury's <laughs> still out on that one. But. <laughs> right. Oh, absolutely. You know, I was going to ask this a little bit later, but you, you sort of brought it up um, a bit. The, I think it's interesting that you, you make this film and so much of the attraction is based off of Twilight Zone, Tower of Terror, but you don't necessarily have the, I, I'm assuming there wasn't the license to allow you to use Twilight Zone in the film. And so how does that change things for you? Or is it that you, you basically, um, I mean, you still take some of the story that you have, uh, but just remove the Twilight Zone element to it. Is there, uh, was there any complication with that? Or is that accurate that you just didn't have the license for Twilight Zone? Or how did that work out? Um, the, the short answer is did not have the license. Okay. I mean, I was told early on, um, this is the ABC Wonderful World of Disney. Twilight Zone is a CBS property. So, so they're like, yes. <laughs> not mention Twilight Zone. The, the answer to your other question is, thank God, because that would have added another layer that I had to deal with. I mean, it, it wasn't a problem taking it out. It would have been a problem putting it in and being saddled with, how do I make this a Twilight Zone? How do I bring a Rod Serling? How do you, you know, no, I didn't have to deal with any of that, which was okay by me. So that so it worked out. That was a, a good thing, but it wasn't Twilight Zone. And I don't, I don't know if you know this, the whole reason, I got this from the Imagineers, the whole reason when they were designing the ride that they called it, or they decided to go with that Twilight Zone theme was because it was down at the Disney Studios, which at the time was called Disney MGM Studios. It's now Disney Hollywood Studios, I think. Um, but all of the attractions down there are movie entertainment theme based. And so they felt like they needed an element with the Tower of Terror to justify it being on a movie lot. So that's why they said, oh, we'll call it Twilight Zone. We'll pretend it's an episode from Twilight Zone and that'll put it into the world of entertainment. I, I, frankly, I didn't think they needed to do that because the whole idea of old time Hollywood pretty much fit the park just fine without Twilight Zone. I mean, the Twilight Zone aspect is good about it, but I don't think they needed it. But that's why it was originally conceived to be the Twilight Zone Tower of Terror. So it felt like it made sense in the park. It was part of the theme of the theme park. That's great. Vanessa? Yeah, and that kind of goes along with my next question, which is uh, when you were writing the script, did the ghost characters give you a starting point or was it more difficult having these characters already established uh, in the attraction? Um, well, one great thing about um, these characters is that they really weren't established. It was just their look. There was right. no backstory to these characters. They were just iconic Things. There was the well-dressed man, the well-dressed woman, the, the little girl with her nanny and the, and the elevator operator. So I had to give them characters. Um, however, it, it was clear to me early on. I mean, also as one of the producers of the movie, I, I, I know how there was, it wasn't a huge budget. So right off the bat, this thing took place. The, the events that jumped the whole thing off were the, lightning hits the elevator and all that kind of stuff supposedly happened Halloween night, 1939. We weren't going to have the budget to make a period piece, a two hour period piece. We just didn't have it. So right there, I was like, okay, this has got to be a contemporary story shot in contemporary times because it'd be much cheaper to do it that way. But then it kind of made sense. It was just a logical progression of, okay, but this thing that happened that jumped off is happened in 1939. So why don't we 
set it in the present and have someone trying to figure out, it was always a mystery. Why did that lightning hit that elevator? What was that? So it was about answering that question. This is what that was about. So, so I said it and I created all new characters, a whole new cast to say, okay, we're going back to figure out what happened in 1939. So, and what did happen on the ride was so general that I could make anything up as long as there was, <laughs> there was lightning, <laughs> <five> people. <laughs> and the elevator was destroyed after that, the sky was the limit. So it really wasn't that hard. So, so the realities of budget dictated a lot of things that set me off on story. And it's always easier to have some kind of parameters rather than make up a story. Go. Mm-hmm. So, so, you know, having those five characters, it, w- one of my, favorite shots of the movie. Um, and if you are a fan of that ride, hopefully it'll be one, one of your favorite shots too. I and mean, to anyone who's, it's, it's in the opening sequence, the whole kind of four minute opening intro to the whole thing. And there's the party going on upstairs. There's witchy stuff going on in the basement. And then one by one, the characters who we should recognize from the ride arrive at this hotel and it's busy and it's exciting and whatnot. And there's a shot that it starts with a close up on the, whatever they call that thing on top of the elevator. It's the, you know, it shows what floor it's on. And it pulls, the shot pulls directly back from that as the five iconic characters come past us and walk into the elevator and take their spot. So if you love that ride, you know that ride, you're going to go, there we go. <laughs> I know where this is going. <laughs> this will not end well. <laughs> Sorry. Right. Or no, don't get on there. <laughs> no, don't get on the Titanic. Yeah. <laughs> it is such a perfect, is such a perfect intro for those of us that love that ride because it, it puts you right in that spot. And I think that that's why it's so, uh, so cool the, that they chose to make a movie of this. And then they were able to come up, go out and find that talent that knew what you were doing with Are You Afraid of the Dark and bring that to Disney and for Tower of Terror. And one of the things that you got to do was really to work within that, um, that set that was already there in the attraction. I know Brett has a question about the overall production design of the film. Okay. Yes. Well, I mean, I loved the production design and you were saying that it wasn't a period piece, but there are hints of that with, isn't it the tip top club? That's the club that was the top. So I love that. But when I watched this time, I was trying to pay special attention to, to see what was filmed at the tower of terror attraction, or at least what I thought was. And then what was filmed elsewhere, all of the angles in and around you experience Tower of Terror, the, the Tower of Terror's mega fan idea of heaven around the exterior and interior because we would like to crawl. I would love to crawl around. Well, not crawl, but anyway, walk around <laughs> that place and look at all of the angles. So it's amazing. But can you tell us about filming in the park? And and did you have any trouble finding locations that would double as rooms of a hotel that aren't in the actual attraction? Uh, yeah. Oh, boy. I don't know if this is oh, I don't know if this is going to be a disappointment or you're going to say, oh, that's interesting. Maybe both. It all took place on this. It was all green screen. No, <laughs> no, no not quite that much. <laughs> okay. Um, the, it, it, uh, oh boy. It, I assume when I got this assignment that, uh, and what, then once I went down there to see exactly what you just described, to see this amazing, oh no, <laughs> this hotel, it is just like, whoa, this is, remarkable and i'm gonna shoot the hell out of this thing this is gonna be awesome and then going into the lobby like it is jaw-droppingly great 
just every, attention to, you know, it's Disney. It's, attention to detail is just fabulous. Uh, so I thought, we're going to shoot a lot in here. This is going to be great. And it's all right here. Oh, my God, the set is right here. Um, and then on top of that, it was at Disney Studios, and they have sound stages there. So it's like, oh, this is great. So we'll be able to build whatever sets we need to build in the sound stages. It'll be right there. At lunch, I can go on Space Mountain. You know, I'm like, this is, <laughs> yeah. this is awesome. Well, well, very little of it happened because I first in talking with the people who literally run the ride, I asked them, okay, so you know, how, do, how do we go about getting to work, uh, shoot at the ride here? And he's like, Oh, no problem. You, you shoot here from like midnight until four or five o'clock mm. in the morning. I was like, uh, uh, excuse me. <laughs> and that's not that's not at midnight you say action that's at midnight you start bringing in the crew and you start lighting and you start doing all this stuff because they do not shut down rides to make movies to promote the rides <laughs> i mean if it's down for for mechanical reasons that's something else but they do not shut down the rides so i was like oh boy this is this is not gonna work i don't know on top of that uh, the sound stages were all booked with uh, Tom Hanks. He wants making... to be a millionaire or something. <laughs> no, no, it was uh, <laughs> from the Earth to the Moon. Tom Hanks is uh, oh, okay. About oh that. wow! So he had those stages booked up for months. So it's like, oh my God, we are not shooting in Florida. So um, when I originally had a rough draft of the script thinking, okay, we're probably going to shoot in the ride, but who knows what the access is going to be. So in my script, I had so much, especially the interiors, I had so much happening in other areas of the hotel, in restaurants and corridors and rooms, guest rooms and all that kind of stuff. Now it's like, oh boy, if we are going to spend the money, we are going to have to duplicate this uh, um, uh, lobby. Mm -hmm. So we did a complete absolutely to the inch duplication of that lobby wow. in Los Angeles. The only thing it didn't have was a ceiling on it, um, which is a really weird experience after spending so much time in that set and then with no ceiling and then actually flying to Florida, going to the, going to the ride and stepping in. I was like, this is, oh, where, like, where, did that, where did that roof come from? This is, this is weird. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, because, I mean, like a quarter of our budget went to building that thing. And the, and the production designer had all the blueprints and was taking pictures. So, I mean, it's not an exact duplicate, but certainly dimensions and everything is spot on to that ride. Uh, you fooled me. Well, yeah, and, and I'm not surprised because <laughs> that's how good a job. I mean, it really was pretty much. I mean, there might be a prop here or there that might have been different. But but for the most part, it was the exact same thing. Um but what happened to me was like, uh-oh, I have to justify having built this thing. And we have to have more shooting days in here than what I was originally planned. So I ended up rewriting the script, taking all those scenes that were going to take place in other parts of the hotel and putting them into the lobby. But thank goodness that was such an amazing lobby and there's so many nooks and crannies and places that it didn't look like we were shooting all in one place for most of the movie. So, so what we ended up shooting... In Florida, we did shoot in Florida. What we ended up shooting were the exteriors of the hotel when you saw the hotel. That was essentially it. I did go in, it's funny you said about the detail. I did take time 
to send the director of photography to go and get shots of detail, like balustrades and, and carvings and whatnot of the actual ride, which was cut into a little sequence when, when Steve Gutenberg arrives for the first time at the hotel and he's looking up at it and we cut to little bits of detail, like the kind of stuff you described. That was actually, a, those are at the ride. Um, the, the, uh, if I have one regret, so we, so it was daytime and nighttime. A couple of funny things happened. Um, we had to show that hotel. I keep calling it a hotel, the ride. We had to show the hotel back in 1939 mm-hmm. and also today. So in 1939, everything is spiffy and nice. Today it's run down. It's the tower of terror. So if you know the ride, and it sounds like you guys do, um, when you look at the ride at night, that Hollywood tower sign is all, you know, it's that neon signs, the light bulbs are out and one's flickering and all that kind of stuff. And so we're now shooting the exterior of this thing at night to be used for the nighttime scene to be used in 1939. I was like, well, we can't have the lights out. (laughs) This is not going to work. So I'm thinking, Oh God, we're going to post-production. We have to CGI in the thing. And so the, the guy was working with, he's like, Oh, let's go see what we can do. So we went upstairs in the ride, went up to the top, and all of those lights, even the ones that are out, all the neon tubes are there. So it's just like, well, let's see what this button does. Click, boom, and they all came on. Oh, <laughs> That's wow. perfect. Wow. That's wow. That's cool. Uh, lucky wow. than good. The master of practical <laughs> effects, right? Absolutely. So, <laughs> all those lights, just so you know, when you go to Tower of Terror, all those flashing light, or zapping lights, they all could be on full. Wow. Another funny thing that happened was uh, when we were shooting the daytime scenes and the scene is I described before where Steve Gutenberg comes to the hotel for the first time and he walks through a gate and he looks up at the hotel and then we cut to his POV, which is the shot we shot down in Florida. And then we cut back to him walking in. Um, When we, (laughs) remember, they don't close down the ride to to do shots. So the thing I regret is I wish I had had the, the director of photography as he's, you know, he's shooting up at, at the, this run. I wish I had had him in one of the takes just tilt down to ground level because what you're seeing in the movie is supposedly Steve Gutenberg's point of view and it's quiet and there's a far off crow and it's, the wind is howling at a spooky hotel. But in reality, when you tilt down, there are 8,000 people in line waiting to get into the ride. Hey, can I be in your movie? Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. yeah. So wow. What what you thought. Oh, that's great. Wow. Well, thank you for all of that. You know, I I also like the magic behind the magic too. So I was fooled and I I was just you know imagining what it would be like, you know, walking all over that. And so that, I'm I'm still thrilled though. I was fooled and thrilled. Well, but there you, is go ahead. Of, of detail that you might like given all that is that um again we the, all we shot down there was pretty much wide shots of the hotel um so what we did in california is we had to have scenes of them arriving at the hotel outside and going and so there are scenes with these these kind of stone gates with the, with the wrought iron things the hollywood tower hotel so i thought oh, we can build that here you know how, how can we do it that, that'll be easy we'll just do that and it'll look like it's at the tower of terror and so our uh, production designer, Phil DeGore, came into my office once in pre-production and he said, you're not going to believe this. <laughs> I was like, what? 
he said, we went to a wrought iron place in order to fabricate these gates. You know, and with low budget, every dollar counts. It's like, oh boy, we're going to have to fabricate these things and whatnot. And by complete dumb coincidental luck, the wrought iron place they went to was the place that had made the gates for Florida. <laughs> wow. Oh, that is so cool. Wow. Chills. When they had made the gates, they made a backup pair. Oh wow! Oh, wow. They went through a pile of wrought iron, like you're the Tower of Terror gates, <laughs> right there. <laughs> wow, that's incredible. Backup. So, wow. So you were able to just rent them from them? I think they probably gave them to us. I, I don't remember. Oh really? Oh. Hey, that's good. Wow. They were in a pile of junk. They, they oh my like, gosh. They made them just Ooh, for safety. eBay, eBay. <laughs> yeah, say, do, they, do you have a? Do you have them uh, open up for your driveway now? That's yes. a, that's what I think I would do. And you have a campfire what? next uh, on the driveway right. path. Right. This is what I'm envisioning, at least, uh, <laughs> to get to your house. So, um, but Brett, you uh, actually had a. You were going to mention something about the production think, designer too. Yeah. Well, the pro- production designer Phil. How do you say Phil's last? De Gore. Okay. Well, I've, I was, when I was doing my research, because we like our research here, um, I read that he was not only the production designer for Tower of Terror, Tower of Terror movie, but here's some real Hollywood Studios trivia. He was the production designer for Sounds Dangerous, which was, which was the sound effects attraction at, at Hollywood Studios. How's that? Nice. So there you go. I didn't that? know that. I know. Isn't that cool? Well, hopefully IMDB is correct. <laughs> no, actually it was, yeah, it was on, it was a credit for him in IMDB. So it was a credit. So it wasn't in the what year was it before stuff. or after Tower of Terror? It was after. Oh, okay. That's probably why. They liked him. They really liked him. Yeah. Very cool. So that was very cool. Okay. Vanessa, this, uh, this film's got quite the cast. And so we have a couple of questions about the cast and Vanessa starts us off there. It, it does have quite the cast. Um, I, it was so fun for me to see actress, I think it's Melora Hardin uh, in the film uh, because most of us just know her as Jan Levinson from the hit series, The Office, and we, we love her. Um, and then there were so many other uh, notable names in the cast. Uh, every time I saw an actor come on stage, I'd be like, I, I know them. I know them. So like Steve Gutenberg, uh, obviously Kristen Dunst, and Nia Peoples, uh, Michael Machane. Um, so what was it like working with that cast and getting to see them to go on to have uh, success in their careers as well? Well, it, it, was, it was great, obviously. I mean, it, it, with most of the stuff I've done, there are kid shows that aren't shot in Los Angeles. This is one of the few things I got to shoot in Los Angeles. So not only was it fun working with that cast, because that's really what counted, but casting in Los Angeles the people that came in to read for this movie, it's like, oh my God, I know that. I, I was starstruck just by the casting of this thing. It's like, I know all of these people. Um, one of my favorites, and I thought she was so wonderful, was uh, she's since passed on, is Amzie Strickland played Abigail Gregory, who mm-hmm. was uh, the elderly mm-hmm. woman. Um, one of the things that's so great about her, this woman has been in everything. I mean, everything. This is the only actor I've ever seen where normally resumes are um, uh, uh, chronological. Her resume was alphabetical. 
That's just a tummy <laughs> wow. thing. Oh my gosh. Wow. She, she gave me a picture. I probably have it here someplace. A signed picture of her where she was on the Andy Griffith show. Was she and Don Knotts? You know, she was like in everything. She was in Pretty That's Woman cool. with Julia Roberts. She was, she, you, oh my God. It was unbelievable. Yes. At the um, opera. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and also, there's a scene in an elevator in the hotel, I think, where she sees her going in. It's just like, oh my God. Uh, Melora, in fact, I, I didn't, this is pre-office, but I, I remember her from, uh, she was the guy that Gene Hackman, or she was the woman that Gene Hackman murdered in the beginning of that Clint Eastwood movie, uh, Absolute Power or something like that. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh my God, that's Melora. <laughs> the, uh, when, uh, but the thing is, when you, when you work with celebrities, um, the celebrity, it's kind of like, say, worked for Disney for a long time. It's like, oh, it's Disney they don't become celebrities anymore. They become regular people because, oh, they're regular people. <laughs> so and I do remember where, when the movie, after the movie premiered, there was a big Disney party and all those big things, wonderful world of Disney things. And I was there with, with Nia, Nia Peoples. And we're looking around and I said, let's see if we can see some celebrities. She's like, oh yeah, this would be great. And she's like, wait a minute, I'm a celebrity. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, but I know you. <laughs> <laughs> I want to know something that I don't know. Um, but Steve and Kirsten had already done a number of things at that point. She'd always already been an interview with a vampire and, right. and uh, small yeah. soldiers. And, and in fact, the woman, the kid she starred in small soldiers with, I had an are you afraid of the dark episode that I had directed. So, so it, one thing that was unique for me was uh, I'm so used to working with kids Um yeah, there's always an adult and a cast here or there, but for the most part, I'm working with kids. So it was fun working with a predominantly adult cast where, uh, where they took a lot of the heavy lifting off of my shoulders. <laughs> so, so I didn't have to like act things out and then have them emulate. So that, that was, that was awesome. And Steve Gutenberg was just, just a dream. And we had, we had this little thing going when, when we shoot, you know, you do your wider shots and you do this and you do a thing. And then we'd always end up going and, ultimately going for a close-up for him. And I was like, all right, it's time for Steve's close-up. We both look at each other and go, of course it is. (laughs) 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 I do have one memory of him saying, he was, it was on the set. It was on the, the, the lobby set and he was getting ready. We're about to do our take. And he looks around and he said, isn't it amazing how much work it takes, how much manpower, how much effort, how much time for two hours on a Sunday night. <laughs> That's movies for you. Yeah. But, but a real sweetheart. So it, it was a great, great experience. And it was a really great cast. And I have to tell you, uh, the name Buzzy Crocker to be the uh, lead protagonist of your film. I, uh, that is a writer through and through that can come up with a name, Buzzy Crocker. <laughs> well done there. <laughs> this wasn't the first movie that Buzzy Crocker appeared in. Oh, okay. Uh, I, I'm an NYU film okay. student, and I made an NYU student film called Deadline. And the main character was a reporter, Buzzy Crocker. Oh, that's perfect. So I that's used, so uh, cool. I brought my Buzzy Crocker character into a Tower of Terror. So I, I guess if I'm going to sue somebody, I could sue myself. I say, right. has Buzzy <laughs> appeared since? Is, is, is this like a trilogy that we can find of a reporter named Buzzy Crocker? Oh, you need to make something again. And do Buzzy that, Crocker uh, Chronicles. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I remember back when I was not. Back in old 97. No, I do remember. It's funny. It's the things you remember. But, um, 
Steve was on uh, Good Morning America to promote the film. With and Regis Philbin, God bless his soul, he just passed away recently. And I just remember, and I'm watching it, of course. I want to see what Steve has to say. And he comes out with Regis Philbin, who's who's very kind of a you know fun character and whatnot. And Regis reads the thing and says, "So you play Buzzy Crocker?" He just looks at Steve, and goes, "Buzzy." <laughs> like, hey, you're not just my character. I was from NYU. Give me a break. It's <laughs> a Regis that. thing, so yeah. yeah, yeah, it was Regis. So you got yeah. <laughs> Well, you were talking about, you know, Steve Gutenberg. So we have I have a couple of questions about two of the leads in the in your in the show. So but Steve Gutenberg is so awesome and so real and believable and and he's so great in Tower of Terror. But this wasn't his first foray into Disney family fieldum, right? He he was previously in Touchstones Three Men and a Baby and Three Men and a Little Lady, which preceded your film. But you've told us some of your Steve Gutenberg stories. Um do you have any others? Any really good ones? I mean, your other was, was good. Your other was good too, but. <laughs> uh, hmm, let me think. About I think we're, yeah, you know, I you, think you told, go ahead. Go I'll ahead. tell you a good one. And, and it's only semi peripheral to the movie. Um, we had to do looping for the movie, you know, dialogue replacement at the end. And at the time we had done it, you know, the movie's cut and locked at that point. Both Steve and Kirsten Dunst were in Toronto shooting something else at the time. So I went to Toronto to do the looping. And um, Steve and I went out to dinner uh, in, in the place in Toronto. It was, it was in the summer, so it was really warm and whatnot. So we're eating in the sidewalk cafe. And I got a little bit of a glimpse and a taste of what it's like to be a celebrity. Not me. I, I became air at this point. <laughs> I, was, I was the invisible man. But it was remarkable how they were sitting in the sidewalk cafe and how many people came up to him just to say hi. So I guess some took pictures. This was pre-selfie, but some took, they weren't really taking it. They just wanted to say hi, how much they loved him. And to a person again and again, he was the nicest, kindest, looked them right in the eye and was genuinely happy that they came up to say to him and genuinely appreciated it. And then I said to him, I was like, wow, that's got to be tough. And he goes, no, not really. He says, I, I really enjoy it. And he said, and, and the fact is that even if I didn't enjoy it, I have to do it because all it takes is for me to be grouchy with one person and suddenly it goes out, Steve Gutenberg's a jerk. <laughs> He's a jerk. <laughs> but, he, yeah. but he wasn't a jerk. He was a genuinely great. great person. And oh, every cool. person he came in contact with walked away thinking, well, what, what a good guy. And it was genuine. Nice guy. Yeah. Yeah, it's wonderful. That's that was a good nice. So cool. Uh, Melora, for example, the, the song that Melora sings, um, The yeah. Girl of My Dreams at the end, oh, a friend of hers wrote that song. Oh, oh, that's nice. Oh, so, wow. So, you know, we're casting around looking for songs. She's like, you know, I have a song that might be pretty good. And so we sang her friend's song. It was why we shot it at the end of one day of shooting where I'm sitting at the, the, like, <laughs> that sounds great, Melora. That's great. I'm falling asleep after a full day of shooting. But, uh, yeah, so uh, everyone kind of pitched in and did their thing, and it was it was pretty wonderful. That's yeah. great. It's, it's good to know cast. that it was such a such a wonderful experience, and certainly a wonderful experience from the viewer's point of view. You know, this uh, was really one of the first attraction based 
movies that it came out. And then we, of course, we alluded to Pirates of the Caribbean later and Haunted Mansion. Actually, someone gave you a shout out. We posted that we were going to be talking uh, to you uh, on our Instagram and they, they wanted us to make sure to say thank you because they feel that this movie really paved the way in a lot of ways for them to make those decisions to continue these attraction-based films. And we as Disney fans absolutely love those. So my question to you is, um, do you think that these attractions that Imagineers have made make for good movies, make for good writing material? Uh, and then also, um, are there other rides that maybe you as a fan, if you've been to the parks, think this would make for a really great movie? Um, well, not necessarily, because so many of the attractions at the park are already based on movies, too. Mm -hmm. So... Uh, so, you know, it's only that limited, uh, the, I, I think they're coming out with a, a Jungle Cruise movie pretty yes, soon. Yes, they are, yep. Um, but I think those standalones are kind of, originals are kind of few and far between now. Um, they did send me, back when I was making Tower of Terror, they, they sent me to look at a ride that I don't think is in Disney World anymore, Mission to Mars or, or something like that, because they were thinking about making a movie out of that. And I recommended that, at least based on what I saw in the ride, I was like, I would not recommend making a movie out of this because it's already been made. It's mm -hmm. alien. <laughs> so I think they eventually did make a Mission to Mars movie, but I don't think it had much to do with, it was a big feature. I don't think it had much to do with the, the ride itself. Um, so so did, did they, was it good fodder for, for a movie? Certainly Tower of Terror was because, and, and from a writer's point of view, it was kind of the best situation because it really just was a starting point, a, a, a detailed starting point and an interesting and a compelling starting point, but that was it. Mm -hmm. So then as a writer, I was able to add all this other stuff on top of that. So, so that was a really good jumping off point for, for a, a, a movie. Um, you know, can they make a space mountain movie? And again, hasn't that already been made? You know, it's, it's kind of tough. So I, do you have any in mind? What do you, what, what, any you well, you know, Absolutely. we are, I, I'm certainly a fan of the Kingdom Keepers series and I, I and I know of books that Ridley Scott wrote and mm -hmm. I know that, um, or, and I'm sorry, Ridley Pearson, not Ridley, Ridley Pearson, Scott. yeah. Uh, completely different, <laughs> but uh, no, the, I, I know that they were in talks uh, at Disney Plus about a series of that, but that's a lot of IPs, but, but I'll tell you what, just to have a little fun, it would be really cool to see your interpretation of uh, it's a small world in kind of an, are you afraid of the dark uh, tower of terror type setting oh, because wow. people are already kind of scared of that ride so could you <laughs> yeah, imagine i was about to say that was that who that was, there's, a, oh. there's a scene there's a scene in kingdom keepers it's in the first book i think and they are in the ride at night and all of the uh dolls come to life and start attacking them uh on the boat and try to swim to the boat and it, <laughs> it was terrifying to read and this is like a ya book about disney parks right but uh but i can imagine you could really crush that um yeah that i think that'd be too scary <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of like whole dolls yeah so. Well, it's almost like like a, um, a World War Z, but it's World War D. <laughs> <laughs> Dolls overrunning the oh, uh, place. Oh, boy. Yeah, I, I could do something <laughs> with that. Man, hey. I mean, the trick would be to do it and not totally uh, be irreverent to the uh, <laughs> sanctity of the ride. Because, I mean, that's the classic ride that everyone goes, oh, my God. 
Uh, right. Of course, we always go on it, but <laughs> but it. I tell you how old <laughs> I, I rode that ride in New York in 1964. Wow, that's because incredible! Started at the oh. Fair. Wow, that's great. so you've had that song in your in your head for a long time. From Di- so. yeah, I, I didn't <laughs> I didn't go to Disneyland until Disney World, I guess, until I was an adult because I lived in Connecticut and there was no. Disneyland, you know, you knew about it because of Wonderful World of Disney, and you knew all about it. But I had never been until I was an adult. But somehow, when I started going there, it's like, why do I have an affinity for this place? I mean, this is something that, that feels like, which everyone does. It's like nostalgic, whatever. I'm like, I and I realized so many of the attractions in Disney on Disney World started at the World's Fair, and I had gone mm-hmm. to the World's Fair a couple of years. So the Carousel mm-hmm. of Progress and, and Lincoln and Small World and the Dinosaur. I, I, I'd seen it all when I was a little kid. So it was like, right, oh my God, this is so odd. <laughs> Actually, we did have, we did have a, a friend of our podcast, uh, a Behind the Mouse uh, listener, our friend Carla wanted to know that since you wrote and directed Tower of Terror movie, it, it, are you interested in doing a Guardians of the Galaxy mission breakout movie? <laughs> anyway, so <laughs> it was a question from a fan who loves us all so and loves you too. We know the answer to that. It's already been done. <laughs> but, but I will add something to this. And this I, I may be, uh, I'm going to be perfectly honest. Um, the Tower of Terror in Los Angeles is no longer Tower of Terror. It's now Guardians of the Galaxy Mission Breakout. Um, the actual skimming of the ride, as they say, you know, like the, the, the actual look of the ride and the theme and whatnot, I think Tower of Terror is far superior. Um, because not that it's bad Guardians of the Galaxy, but it's stuff we've seen before. It's mm-hmm. outer space. It's Star Wars. You know, it's all that kind of stuff. However, the ride experience itself is way better. <laughs> well, yeah, this is we're, we're treading on very oh. delicate territory because one of well, our co-host who is sweating right now because she's having, having anxiety. Yes, yeah, it was not the best experience. For her. I was in a what fetal position. You know? I, it's too intense. I had in a fetal position on the park bench outside. I became something for tourists to look at as they walked by. It Why? was awful. What happened? Oh, it was, I, it's just I, I have movement. motion sickness. So just that it was oh, bouncy oh. and the music and oh, it was so scary. Oh, <laughs> oh. She okay. made the person, the, the guy in front of us deaf. He, at the end, he was like going, ow. Now, now I feel bad about that. I do feel bad about that. But, but you know, it, it The happens. pictures are really great. Mm, insert picture here. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. It wasn't that you were upset that it was no longer Tower of Terror. It's just that it just rattled your brain. And <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I don't remember Tower of Terror being like that. I remember Tower of Terror being fun, scary, but this was like I I might die. I could just go into cardiac arrest right really, now. I think so. I thought they okay. were kidding, but no, no, it was because it was intense Tower, about Tower of Terror. That um, I didn't realize this when I I went down there in Florida twice to ride that ride. Um, once we did research, and then when we were back shooting, I rode the ride. And the first time I went on it. I had a lot of trepidation. You know, it's like anything for the first time. You're like, what's this going to be? So my expectation, my nerve was really high. And I was just like, oh, that wasn't so bad. What are we, what are we talking about? That's nothing. When we went back and I'm telling everybody, I took a couple of the crew guys on. I'm like, it's, it's a, you fall down, you go, it's no big deal. 
Well, what I didn't realize is that ride is totally programmable. Again, it's, it's, it's not an actual fall. You're falling faster than gravity. Mm-hmm. It's on two pulleys that'll bring you up and bring you down, bring you up, bring you up. And somewhere in the interim from the last time I had gone to this time, they had reprogrammed the ride. And I went from this is the wow, and I was not as bad as you were, <laughs> but I came up shaking like, "What the heck was that?" That wasn't what I remember. I don't remember it that way. Yeah. Well, as we begin to uh, wrap up our time with you here today, uh, you are also a very prolific author, and we wanted to talk to you about uh, some questions about your books. Sure. Well, I think that's for me then, um, and it links back to Tower of Terror because the character of Dewey Todd. Um, we read appears in your young adult series, Pendragon. And so I have to ask, do we ever find out about his family? Like, did he have a girlfriend and a wife and had a son? Cause we only know he has a grandson. So what, what happened to him and the rest of his family? Well, I, I don't know about the rest of the family, but, but, uh, what I did was for those of you who don't know the Pendragon books, which you should, um, by really dumb coincidence, the, the events in this Pendragon book take place, in 1939, right around the same time that Tower of Terror happens. So I noodled it around a little bit. So it happened exactly when Tower of Terror happened. Or, or, no, I, I noodled it so it happened prior to Tower of Terror. So the events in this book take place at the Manhattan Tower Hotel. And I describe it exactly like Tower of Terror. Mm. To the gardens, to the color, to the look, to the sign, to everything. To the, to the bellhop uniforms, to the lobby. I described Tower of Terror and the elevator operator is Dewey Todd. Um, and he is the character from the movie. At the end of the book, Dewey says, I'm leaving here. I'm going out to California to work in my grandfather's hotel. Oh, and no. He does. Flash forward to book eight of the pen. That was book three of the Pendragon series. Book eight of the Pendragon series, and this, this series takes place in worlds all over the place, different times, different planets, different everywhere. We go back to the Manhattan Tower Hotel, and there's just one paragraph where they're walking into the hotel, and someone says, hey, do you what happened to Dewey? I'm like, no, what happened? He says, he went to work at his grandfather's hotel, and he was in the elevator, and lightning struck it, and he was never seen again. <laughs> So, so I actually refer to the events of Tower of Terror in, in that book. Not only the character, but then I refer back to it afterwards. As to what oh, happened to the rest cool. of the family, I have no idea. <laughs> that's perfect. That's perfect. Well, you know, you, uh, I mentioned that you have so many books that people can go out there and check out. Uh, actually, I just picked up Morpheus Road. It's not here quite yet. I am excited because I read that it is the, um, maybe one of the more spookier books. So I decided to be good Halloween reading, but can you tell us about some of your books that you've written and, uh, the different series that you have available and what you might recommend people to check out? Sure. Uh, thank you for letting me do this. Um, certainly, if anybody wants to find out about my books, go to my website. It's djmichaelbooks.com, and all my books are listed and all that. And, and I got into writing books. I was in Kids TV for a long time, but then the pendulum kind of swung away from the kinds of shows that I was making, which are essentially dramas. And, and Kids, t- Kids Live Action TV went to pretty much all sitcoms. You know, multi-camera sitcom. And I don't really write that stuff. So if I said, if I'm going to write the kind of stuff I want to continue writing what I like to write, I'm going to have to write books. And so I did. So never thinking they would sell and suddenly whoop, they took off. 
So I've published over 20 some odd books, not counting spinoff books and all that kind of stuff. Um, probably the, the best-selling one is the one we've been talking about, the Pendragon series, which is a, a 10 book series of adventure through time and space. Um, and it's geared, it's funny back when it was, the first book was first published. So it was way back in 2002. Um, it was considered young adult. Uh, now the young adult world has changed. Um, now it's considered middle grade because it's a little bit young. Young adults gotten a little more sophisticated and more mature than, than what was considered young adult 15 years ago. So, so the, you know, the, it's, it's an adventure. I, I like to say there are three entry points into my books. Uh, the, the first entry point is younger readers who like the action, the adventure, the running around, the explosions, the, the cliffhangers and all that kind of stuff. A little bit more older and sophisticated reader likes the character stories and, and, and the mystery and the unfolding of the plot. And then the, the real sophisticated reader gets the themes because they're all the, I sublimely put themes into all of my books. So you can thinly veiled, but they're, they're all there. So there's a lot for all ages. Um, you know, starting with eight or nine year olds up to adults. I'm, I'm a big hit with long distance truckers. They always tell me they put their oh, audio wow. and listen to, to Pendragon or Morpheus Road uh, or Silo. So, so I've 10 Pendragon is my, my biggest series. Uh, Morpheus Road is, uh, is, is a spooky trilogy about a guy who's being hunted and haunted by a ghost. Um, but he's not sure if it's happening in his head or it's really happening. And, and it's it, it's it's interesting. It's a trilogy because it's called, told from a couple different points of view, and so I, I, I think you'll like if you like scary right. stuff. And my silo trilogy is a science fiction adventure type thing, which is about an island that is overcome by a pandemic. Interesting. Does it end well? <laughs> yeah. Can you tell us Could the you ending? Tell of us that the one? ending. <laughs> it ends after an election, and yeah, <laughs> <You're right>. <laughs> <laughs> did they make it out alive? Um, a lot happens before <laughs> the ending. It okay. Well, yeah. There, oh, sure. He spoils Blair Witch Project, but you know, yeah. just kidding. It's a long road to get to. <laughs> so okay. As long well, as the, at least there's Steve Vanessa. There's a, I think we're okay so with that. Yeah. Yeah, well, the, you know, there's a lot happening now. So if we can get just close to the. <laughs> That'd be great. <laughs> there is the light at the end. Well, it was funny with, with my Pendragon series. Pendragon, even though I, I never even read Harry Potter, but with Pendragon, the main character starts out at 14 and it takes place over four or five years and he goes till he's 18. So just by, just by I, I didn't plan it this way, but just as you're writing 10 books, the stories become a little bit more sophisticated and intense. Um, believe me, there's just as many deaths and destruction at the beginning as there are at the end. But but just the themes become a little darker. I mean, and it wasn't until I watched the Harry Potter movies where I was like, oh, that's pretty much what happened here too. Where even the color palette changes on the movies. But but it got darker. And there was a woman who wrote to me before the ninth book came out, and she said, oh, I'm a big fan of your stories. My daughter's a big fan. But please tell me that la- that eighth book was so intense tell me it's going to lighten up happy things are going to happen in the ninth book Ninth book had not been published yet and i'm looking at the cover which essentially depicts what could be construed as a nazi rally with flags flying one and i'm like uh, you know, <laughs> not so much maybe go back to book one <laughs> and i said what i'm saying to you about silent just 
keep reading, just stay with it. Stay with it. It will resolve in a way that won't make you want to hang yourself. <laughs> I'll, I'll go that far. That's Excellent. good to know. There's hope for all of us then. Yes, yes. And you won't hang yourself after reading my books. Yeah. <laughs> well, in addition to your books, are there any other fun projects that you're working on that you'd like or are able to speak about? <laughs> well, um, yes and no. Because you know, talk about that pendulum. The pendulum swung away from the kinds of TV shows that I would make into writing books. The pendulum swung back. Um, I got a little burnt out writing books, quite frankly, because I wrote a lot of them. Um, but whether it's the times, whether it's because all of these streaming services now have cropped up, um, the kinds of stuff that I, that I write for TV are coming back. So I've gone back into TV. So I've got a couple of shows in development right now. Um, and I just shot something the other day. Oh boy. Where I'm like the host for this show on Apple TV Plus. Um, there's a show called Ghostwriter on Apple TV Plus, which I wrote a book for that show because it's about books and all that kind of stuff. So they asked me if I'd be the host for the new season, and they have so so I, should, I suddenly I'm Mr. Rogers sitting in front of a fire talking about. <laughs> you know, I don't know, and that's gonna that's good. So if you get Apple TV Plus, or you should get Apple TV Plus, and your kids like Ghostwriter, look for Ghostwriter Beyond the Page because I'm the host. So that's, that's kind that's of fun. That's really exciting. That's oh, very that's fun. Great. Uh, I haven't wow. checked out the new Ghostwriter yet, but man, as a kid, the PBS Ghostwriter, I, I, I was on that all the time. So I'm excited that it was back. And my son is four, so he's starting to experience some of these things. He's a little young for your stuff quite yet, but I can't wait to take him through uh, all of the, the wonderful things that you've brought to us. Uh, you've created such great, uh, great pieces for us all. He, he might be, well, four might be a little young for the new Ghost Rider. Um, I mean, it's very, the premise is very cool. It's about these kids and there's a ghost. And, but they have this, this bookshop where characters come out of the books. And, the, and so there's a mystery involved and they have to figure out how to get them back into the books. So the first four stories they did, and there are multiple episodes for each story, they did a, one with uh, Alice in Wonderland. So the White Rabbit and the Mad Hatter and the, the March they all come out in CG. It's very cool. Uh, they did Jungle Book. So the, the Mowgli and, and the Panthers are coming out. They did Frankenstein, wow. which, which is pretty cool. And then they asked me to write an original one. So I wrote one called Trinity. So it's just kind of interesting. You see these books together and it's like, hmm. Lewis Carroll, Rudyard Kipling, Mary Shelley, DJ McHale. <laughs> One of these things is not like the other. <laughs> it's a great group. <laughs> and they probably, that's probably why they asked me to be a host of this thing, because the others weren't available. <laughs> you know, I'm sure there were other reasons too. <laughs> He's around. Uh, Kipling is uh, playing hard to get. <laughs> it's a good show. And uh, new episodes are going to drop. Uh, Next month, I think. So that's wonderful. Wow. That's wonderful. Yeah. Very, very cool. Well, Vanessa, my... I think you have our last question of the day. So the the final wondering is, do fans come up to you and ask you to ride Tower of Chair with them? And do you tell them to go away? Because that's what I would do. <laughs> <laughs> uh, one of the beauties of the... God, it's so lofty to use the word celebrity, but notoriety that comes with being an author is that no one knows who you are. They know your name, 
you know, but, and so, so you can get, when you go to events, whether it's book signings or, or going to, I do schools all the time, suddenly for that hour, you're a star. You're just, you're like, you are on there like, whoa, my God. And so you get, it's really great. As soon as you leave, you become totally anonymous again. <laughs> and so you don't have to ah. deal with any of that kind of stuff you just said. Though, if someone did ask me, I would go on with them. Um, oh, that's nice of you. <laughs> I, I, I still wouldn't. I, I would do. But, but, but a oh, funny thing. Oh, this is good. So uh, I, my daughter, Amara said I met my wife making the movie. And so uh, my daughter, who's now 17, uh, I, I took her to Disney, uh, California Adventure. And I said, I took her to Tower of Terror. And she, she's little at this point. She's like five or six. And I'm like, we have to go on this ride because if this ride didn't exist, you wouldn't either. Okay. <laughs> so we were, but she's such a brat. So she, she wouldn't do it anymore. But when she's a little bit older, we'd be in line. You have to wait in line. I don't, I don't get to jump the line because I was, I made tower of terror. I got to be in line. In fact, they weren't even sure they weren't to let me jump the line when I was making tower. Of terror. Oh, wow. So we're in line at tower of terror and she'd be looking at, you know, thousands of people. She'd be looking around saying, so, Dad, when you made the movie about this ride, uh, how did that work? I was, Shut up. <laughs> Stop that. <laughs> no one cares. That's totally what we would do, though, if we were with you. We'd be like, we're, DJ, we care deeply. So tell me we about the deeply. shot that you, the establishment <laughs> shot that you had <laughs> to make sure we knew, you know, <laughs> that's totally what I would do. Well, well, you would do it from the point of view of actually getting some insight. She just wanted people to go, ooh. ooh. <laughs> no, that's exactly no, no. what I'd, I'd want to sound fancy and I'd want people to be like, ooh, yeah. he's with the. <laughs> yeah. I just want to make people jealous. I would get in line with you. <laughs> For that, just for that. <laughs> well, that. That was her thinking too, just so you know. <laughs> and, and for the record, no one gave a damn. Aww. No one was listening. Well, no we one. care. We're glad you're here and glad it all happened. And really, seriously, thank you so much for your uh, time. And I know, uh, I know, Jeremy is so excited uh, when he gets to speak to you for "Are You Afraid of the Podcast?" It's, it's, it's so much fun to have these things that we experienced first as children. And now uh, he's a father, I'm a dad, being able to pass those along to our kids is something that we're really looking forward to and being able to introduce them like Vanessa said at the very beginning to horror as a concept without completely terrifying them and scaring them beyond belief. Um, these, that's why these stories really stick with you because you you develop those that's that is your sense of like how that genre unfolds and it's a great entry point so thank you for all the work that you do and i can't wait to read all your books i'm excited about uh, jumping into it i hadn't gotten into that yet and so i'm excited to do that myself i hope you enjoy them thank you for having me this has been fun as i said to jeremy i was like oh it's really nice to talk about something other than are you afraid of the dark for a change <laughs> this is this is kind of fun hey. yeah, oh wow absolutely absolutely well thank you thank you for that What a fantastic interview. And thank you, DJ, so much for spending some time with us. Such an easygoing guy. He has so many great stories. Vanessa, talk to us about this interview. 
Oh, he wasn't as scary as I thought he might be because, you know, I really got uh, freaked out as a child by Are You Afraid of the Dark a little bit and um, by the, um, you know, the death ride that is Tower of Terror. And But the the movie itself I really enjoyed, and he was such a treat to talk to. He's got a lot of energy, a lot of great ideas, and um, I'm really excited to go back and, and listen to his books now. I'm hoping to get those because he said the, the drivers will, will – listen to them while they're driving. I'm like, that's a great idea. So I'm hoping to do that too. I'm really trying to be much better about reading with my eyes. And that's why I, I picked up his book and I want to make sure I, I read it because I am someone that really listens to audiobooks like they're going out of style, but that might be a good way to get through Pendragon, right? Because there's 10 books and it just keep going one after another, after another. Yeah. Uh, and then you an can be driving membership for Christmas. Uh, yeah, and if, you can be driving going, co-host. and then what happened? He didn't. <laughs> they're, they're going where now? That's, that's, I talk to things that are talking to me. So that's how Clearly. you do <laughs> And I, you could tell that he, you were saying that uh, you were kind of worried that he might be a bit spooky, right? Because of yeah. all this that he's made, but you could see the wheels turning. He, he came up in his mind. He had a very horrifying, it's a small world premise just right there in his brain that he was oh, ready to put down paper. I could tell. Ran so. with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Brett, your thoughts on the interview? Um, well, you know, I, I learned a lot about the production of Tower of Terror and I'm even more impressed. And where are those gates? You know, we need those gates. Let's just, you know, anyway. And the other part is, you know, are you afraid of the dark? Yes. Um, but re- I'm a please, I'm afraid of the Food Network. During October. It's really <laughs> kind of specifically in October. Oh. Am I afraid of the dark? Yes, in October. Again, I'm very happy for November 1st. I almost forgot about that. That's awesome. I know, you know? Yeah, totally forgot that you're afraid of the Food Network. It's Only so close to November in, here, did, Brett. In November. You, almost made it. I'm sorry, in October. <laughs> almost Only in October. You've almost made it's it. The we, we've I know. I have, I'm like going, two more days, two more days. Oh, that's good. <laughs> that's so great. Well, I'm like going, they are scary. They're scary. <laughs> I love the artistry, but the theming, no. Let's move on to the other holidays, which we are about to do. Yay. So I, uh, we've talked about Tower of Terror on our feed before, actually a long time ago, even uh, I think it was before uh, Brett and Vanessa came on as co-host. It might've been right about the same time that you did, but uh, you can certainly go back and listen to that episode. I will say what I said in that episode here, and that is that Tower of Terror to me is a definitive Disney Halloween classic. I know Hocus Pocus gets so much love and it deserves it. I'm not going to put down Hocus Pocus. It's a great film. But check out Tower of Terror. And I know it's a bummer it's not on Disney+, Plus, but you can go and find it. I mentioned uh, to DJ that we ended up picking up new copies at Target, so you can find it there. Uh, it's also on Amazon. Uh, I'm sure you can find it as well at other retailers. But check it out. It's such a fun film. I think it's, uh, it was $5 on Target, so you can definitely check this film out and have it in your life and watch it every single Halloween. It's the first Halloween movie I pull out every single year. And I'm just so grateful to DJ for talking to us and for writing and directing this film that I absolutely love. So thank you. In case you're listening back, DJ, it was just a blast getting to talk to you today. Uh, Final thoughts. I'll go to Brett first. (laughs) Let's see. Final 
thoughts. Um, you know, Final if you ask them, if you, you know, if you don't say, if you say that you haven't ever watched this film, um, um, Craig will buy you a copy. How's that? Yeah, I like how you, you put that in that you're like, oh, no, I've seen this film before after I buy you a copy and send it to you. Well, well you know, it's, a, it's the holiday season. Let's start with the presents. Craig, mm-hmm. I've never driven a Lamborghini. Craig. <laughs> that was out of my budget a bit. Uh, that out there. there might be a Hot Wheels in your future, Vanessa. All uh, right. what are your final thoughts on the interview? Oh, I just, I really enjoyed it. I, I love um, hearing his stories um, uh, about the film, about the actors, especially. That was great. Um, I enjoyed the movie a lot. I agree with you, Craig. It's great for Halloween. So give it a listen. And thank you for buying me a copy. Let's see what I, else we I'm can glad, get you to buy. I, I <laughs> hope that it's in your Halloween rotation for the rest of your life it now. Is, That's what I it expect. Is. Yeah, it's not too scary. So I can handle it. That's right. Well, again, thank you to DJ and thank you for listening. We are so glad that you are here with us. Make sure that if you're new to the the podcast to like and subscribe the podcast and give us a rating on any platform that you listen to us on that really helps just continue to uh, gain exposure and get a new audience out there. We also are available on our social media platform. So you can go to Beyond the Mouse Podcast on Facebook. You can also go to Beyond the Mouse Pod on Instagram. We are, of course, part of the Front Row Network. You can find them on all social media just by searching the Front Row Network. You can also find us on nprillinois.org as well under the Community Voices tab. So check us out there if you'd like. We have so much fun coming your way. It is the holiday season. We're we're getting out of Halloween. Bread is ready to come out of the bed, uh, under the covers. He's, he's out of there and he's going to be putting on his gingerbread outfit. He's going to be starting to make cookies. He's going to be watching the Food Network again. We are getting into the holiday spirit. I am one of those people. 2020, we all deserve Christmas music starting on November 1st. And anybody out there that disagrees with me, you can write me a sternly worded letter and I will respond with a very nice response. Uh, But... It is time to start celebrating the holiday soon. So we will be bringing some of that to your feed. We'll also be bringing some interviews to you uh, in the near future. We're just excited with all the opportunities that we've had this year. It's going to be one. I was thinking about this the other day. It is going to be one heck of a year in review podcast, isn't it? When we get to look back at what we did uh, this year, even though it's been a weird year. Uh, but let's let's finish it strong here and continue to listen to us on Beyond the Mouse. So for Beyond the Mouse, I am Craig. I'm Vanessa. And I'm Brett. And we will see you real soon in the front row. Or maybe on the 13th floor. <laughs> the tip oh, top on the first floor. The and then maybe on the fifth floor. And then maybe on the second floor. And then maybe on the eighth floor. Oh, my stomach is still up on the 15th oh. or 13th, 12th. Anyway. Am I giving you like flashbacks here, Vanessa? Was this, I'm, was this an experience? Like, <laughs> I'm on the bench and crying. Insert picture here. Oh, gosh. That's not a good look. All right. <laughs>